So Michelle Obama, I was her very first paid speech after she left the White House. And I said to her, we're going to have a good time. She goes, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, we will. And I said, is it okay if you dance on stage coming up? And she said, do you dance, Elliot? And I go, well, better than Barack did on the Ellen show. And she (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey everyone, it's Jason Patria, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast. For those of you joining us for the first time, thank you so much. And for those of you who are new super fans, thank you for listening. I hope that you are finding those quick and easy steps to help you show up as your best authentic self, hone your true brand voice, and ultimately lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. Now, I want to help you find that next career breakthrough by leveraging the Lead With Your Brand system, which is my unique system for taking a brand marketer's toolkit and applying it to our own careers. Now, today, we've got an amazing guest on the show, Mr. Elliot Maisie, who's really a guru and pioneer in the learning and development industry. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to have Elliot on is because he's someone that represents to me the magic of using a brand filter. A brand filter that he applies to everything that he is doing, whether he's producing a conference, interviewing an executive, or even working on a Broadway show. Now, you're probably asking me, hey, Jason, what the heck is a brand filter? And you know what? I will say 15 years ago, I had never heard that term. But I had the chance to work with one of my favorite clients, and those were the folks over at Bravo, the home of Real Housewives and Top Chef and all of your favorite shows. Now, this was way back when I kind of call it the classic Bravo days uh, 15 years ago when they were really evolving from just being the Queer Eye Network. And I had this chance to facilitate what would become one of many strategic offsites for their leadership team. And I was there with the cool kids like Andy Cohen, who we all love from his amazing work on Watch What Happens and hosting gigs and his his great books. And of course, back then, Andy wasn't even on air because he was a development exec that was creating the shows like the first Real Housewives of Orange County. And I remember sitting there with the Bravo team and they started talking about the Bravo brand filter. And it clicked for me. I got it because I love watching Bravo. And I loved working with the Bravo folks because working with them was just like watching a show. It was They were everything that was Bravo. And if you look at it, one of my favorite shows is Top Chef. And for 
almost a decade, Top Chef was the number one food show on cable TV, which is crazy when you think about it. Because it wasn't on the cooking channel. It wasn't on the Food Network. Heck, Bravo isn't even a home and garden channel when you look at the tier. Yet they had the number one show about food on there. And ultimately, it was because they were able to do food by Bravo. They had a very specific filter that said, of course we want to have exciting characters. Of course we want to have dramatic storylines. Of course we want to have attractive people on it. But after that, they said, we need to do a cooking show that is by Bravo. And that included having LGBTQ representation. It had to be both smart and fun. It had to have upscale and cosmopolitan locales. It had to have aspirational environments. And ultimately, it had to have high-end, sophisticated production values. And you know what? That team was able to take all sorts of genres. In fact, if you look at The Real Housewives, which by and far is their most successful show and franchise ever, it's really just a telenovela or soap opera format put through the brand filter. And of course, there would never be real housewives of some podunk city, right? Because their brand filter is about high-end, sophisticated, and aspirational upscale locations. So we're speaking with Elliot Maisie today because he's someone that applies that brand filter to everything he does. The question for you is, what is your brand filter? What are your packaging rules that dictate how you dress when you show up at the office? And right now, how do you dress when you show up on that Zoom call? What does your workspace look like? Or what can we see through Microsoft Teams in the background? More importantly, it's how you present ideas and ultimately how you produce your signature projects. When you finish a project, does it have your name and your signature stamped all over it? Does it have your fingerprints and your DNA all over it in a way that somebody says, oh my gosh, this project could only be accomplished and executed by you. That's the power of having a brand filter is that you could take a food show just like Bravo and make it uniquely you. Today, I'm so excited to be talking to Elliot Maisie. Elliot is a pioneer in the learning and development industry. He's been the host and curator of many learning and development seminars, labs, and conferences over the past 30 years. And he coined the term e-learning to describe online learning. He heads the Maisie Center, which is a think tank focused on how organizations can support learning and knowledge within the workforce. He leads the Learning Consortium, a coalition of over 150 global organizations, including American Express, GE, McDonald's, General Motors, and Fidelity Investments. He's a Broadway producer, an author, philanthropist, and a personal mentor of mine. I'll be back in just a few moments with Elliot Maisie. 
If you're one of our listeners who's ready to dig into your personal brand and go for that next career breakthrough, I have a special announcement for you. We have the next series of the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program starting in just a couple of weeks. Now, for years, when I would give the Lead With Your Brand workshop or keynote address, I'd come off stage and people would come up to me and say, hey, how can I put this system into practice? And that's exactly what the Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program does for people like you. You're high performing and you're a high potential leader. Now, our next group is starting the first week of October. So if you're ready to do the work, go to leadwithyourbrand.com and click on Career Breakthrough Mentoring to fill out the application. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we're back. I'm excited to be here with someone that I consider to be an amazing coach and a personal mentor, even a bit of a father figure, but most importantly, a friend. Please welcome Elliot Maisie. Elliot, how are you? I am good. Now, Jason, I've always viewed you as a nephew, but I, I guess <laughs> if you want to be... Yeah, I, yeah, I, well, nephew Jason and, and we are friends and colleagues as well. Yes. Well, I'll take it at Uncle Elliot. So, Elliot, tell me what is new and exciting with the Maisie Center and the Learning Consortium? Well, you know, the times we live in are unusual right now. They are unpredictable. They are unprecedented. And in many ways, they're not linear. You know, we're at a moment when you don't necessarily know what's next. So all you can do is be a bit of a butterfly and to float in this moment and be prepared with readiness for what's next. So what I've been doing, and literally, I made this shift on March 5th when it was clear the pandemic was coming. I said, you know what? We are, we've done very well economically for the next period of time. Let's turn off the uh, cash register part of what we do and let us be out there of service to people that I've worked with in some cases for almost 40 years. And so we continue to do what we are doing, but literally did it without soliciting new business or sending out invoices. And what our focus has been is that this little idea from the early 1990s when a couple of us said, maybe we could use the internet to deliver some learning. (laughs) And the phrase became e-learning and Wikipedia said, I'm one of the people who helped popularize that. We had 86 people at the first e-learning gathering in the 1990s. And according to UNESCO, 1.8 billion people are now doing that in the pandemic worldwide. So we've focused, I've focused on how do you do it well? And you know that just connecting people ain't enough. You have to bring the kind of energy that you have. You've got to bring the design process And even in schools, a lot of our our teachers have been struggling for how do they capture the imagination and engagement of kids. So that's what we've been doing. And it's been an enormously 
honorable thing I've been spending 30 minutes almost every day with the senior learning leaders. And sometimes their whole team of 20 or 200 learning folks from around the world. And we've just been doing these 30 minute Zoom sessions with our about over 150 companies. I feel like I'm the Anderson Cooper of of learning right now. I love that. So you really talked about focusing on being of service to people in this crisis. And one of the things that really stands out to me about you, Elliot, is that you're always in service of people. Talk to me a little bit about all of the things that you do to be a member of the community and promote great community service with the philanthropy and the charities that you work on as well. Early on, I I come from a a working class family. I come from a father who fled Nazi Germany and was a very proud American. And I remember going door to door with him, putting Adlai Stevenson notes in people's people's door boxes. Uh, So I come from that family. And part of what I grew up in is that you do well. And when you do well, you do more well. You know, you, you give back. And it's just been a natural thing. And so every time we've done a conference, we have given money to things that are, whether it's Malaria No More that was working on that horrible issue in Africa or supporting Michelle Obama's Reach Higher or working over the years with, you know, Nick Van Dam did e-learning for kids. And even right now, you know, maybe some of the listeners want to know, but when I don't do learning, I do Broadway. And so we have been enormously involved in being philanthropists for the Actors Fund, which is supporting all of our tens of thousands of of people in theater who are unemployed. I don't do it to be good. I actually do it because it's, it's, it's organic. It's, it's the right thing to do. You know, when you're, you have success, you, you share that and you multiply it by engaging with others. Absolutely. So you mentioned Broadway, and I know you and I are big Broadway fans. In fact, many years ago, we reconnected being producers of Godspell, right? And and being part of the, the people of Godspell. So tell me, how does a learning technologist and someone that really coaches and consults with major Fortune 500 corporations, how does someone like you break into becoming a Broadway producer? Well, you got to step back and ask yourself what it is that you're good at. You know, to me, it wasn't being good at necessarily just creating a conference or, or, or the like. I was good at storytelling. I was good at engagement. I, I had a passion for making something happen magically in a moment, whether it be a classroom or online. And, Gosh, you know, while Broadway has better music and better makeup and better curtains, it's that's what it is, you know. And so uh, I became a, a producer first by being engaged in a couple of shows in a small way. And I'm always wanting to do what I do larger. So I uh, ended up becoming a co-producer. of. We've now done 29 Broadway shows, including Kinky Boots and The Prom and Allegiance. And I found this interesting connection in my brand between, like, I don't think your brand is what you do. I think it is what you bring to what you do, what what it is that. And so for me, uh, whether it is a uh, 
literally hosting, you know, uh, Michelle Obama at a conference talking about learning politics and storytelling or being in the audience or backstage at a Broadway show and seeing kids and adults' eyes light up, they're all sort of connected for me. And right now, and it's been an interesting moment right now, is we've connected the dots again. I've been doing some work on empathy and literally with a, a shared friend of ours, Telly Leong. You might know him from Aladdin or from, from Glee or Rent, but we've been bringing together Broadway stars and learning folks and taking an hour with music and message to talk about empathy. And we've done it for free. We're not charging. We don't have sponsors, but it's, it's of the moment. And I love that whole mashup because, you know, I've been privileged to be a guest on a couple of your empathy concerts, obviously not singing like the amazing Broadway folks. But you've really had this chance to bring together two worlds where most people in corporate America wouldn't think about how can we bring bring Broadway in. So I love that notion of the mashup and the fact that you really said your brand is really what you bring, right? What you bring to the table. So Elliot, for you, describe your brand. What is it that you're really bringing to the table, regardless of what the project is? Endless curiosity, Mm -hmm. number one. A self-empowerment that if I'm curious, I have the right and the uh, drive and the need to learn in order to fulfill that curiosity. And a, a tribal sense that when you... Connect with the right people in an environment of trust. You can do amazing, magical things. And that's what I do. And then you wrap it. You wrap it in whether it's a commercial wrapper. You know, here's a a book I've written. Or whether you wrap it in a learning seminar wrapper. Or whether you engage people on either a political or an entertainment issue. But Ultimately, that's that's who I am. That's what I give. And like you, I can't sing. (laughs) I can't dance. But I can create spaces in which magical things can happen, not from me, but by who I bring and empower and enable trustingly in those spaces. Absolutely. So how is it that you, how do you show up on brand on your projects. What are some specific things that you do to show up in that magical way or in a way that creates magic? My first name. It's a really, I mean, I, I'm not yet able to, and I will never be able to drop it and just be share. But more people know me as Elliot than they know me as Elliot Maisie, and they, they usually mangle the Maisie pronunciation. So I'm Elliot. And so it's part of my brand. You know, I never want it to be, you know, Elliot Maisie, the CEO of Umphaloplop, you know, because my brand is Elliot, you know. And the second piece is I am never going to be perfect in either design or implementation of things. I am... um, I come from a probably a hippie era. I wasn't a hippie, but I come from a improvisational era. So when I write something, there'll likely be a typo. When I'm talking, I'm very likely to get the wrong word. 
but that's not a flaw. I actually think perfection is the enemy of great brand because you are you are what you are, you know, and uh, and that is what I do. And at the same moment, and I must say it's part of it, is you have to be a producer. You you are producing. You're you're producing whatever your event or whatever your your business thing is, but you're producing that experience of you, you know, and so I want to make sure that the sound is really good. If I'm on a video session, the lights are going to be really good. If I'm sending you an email, it's not going to go to spam. So they're, they're the elements of you're not going to be perfect, but I'm going to be a demanding producer of my own experience. Now, there's one other one. And that is, I don't actually have that much unique content. You know, I mean, I've had people who've stopped me in an airport. Elliot, I've always wanted to meet you. Oh, great. And I've been reading your stuff for years. I go, great. And then they say, and we've been implementing all of the your strategies in our corporation. And I have to like maintain because I don't have any strategies. I, as I said, I'm I'm the Anderson Cooper. I'm I'm the curator of other. But what they're really saying is I trust in what and how you are. And so you need to bring with it uh, a sense that it's not that I own it and you have to put my trademark next to it. Trust it because I'm authentic and, and you like, you like the, you like the pizzazz that I bring to it. Absolutely. So I love that you brought up the whole notion of being a curator, because I know that when you talk with corporate learning people, you talk all around curation and you talk about that hand in hand with really producing events, right? Whether they're digital or they're in person for you, for all of us out there that are listening, that work in the corporate space, what can individual leaders do to really be great curators and producers of their content? It starts with energy. It starts with energy. Don't be afraid to, you're doing a webinar, put some music on at the beginning. In some cases, stand up, you know, in this virtual world, stand up because your body is going to be different in how you speak. Less is more. Less is more. We often think that we have to say a lot, you know, that we need 42 PowerPoint slides. You probably need one picture. And listen, watch and listen, because I think part of producing is to watch and listen. So I remember we were producing a Broadway show with a very, very famous female singer. And the very first time she sang her song in one of our rehearsals, nobody in the audience was particularly responding. Well, it was a great moment to say, we don't have it yet. Yeah. Let's play it again. And in the end, same music, different lyrics, different place in the show. You would have never known it. And it was wow. And so that's part of just being a, an alive and sensitive producer. And the other last one is it's not about you. It's not about you. If somebody knows Jason, they know all the things you're about, brand and diversity and business and learning and the like. But 
it's not like they need to say, I'm following Jason's model on X. <laughs> so I don't need it. I don't need to get the attribution of what I do. The affiliation is going to be as important as putting my name next to each thing. So that's a, a big piece of it, Jason. Yeah. I love that whole notion of, right, it's not about the attribution, it's about the affiliation. So you have this interesting uh, twist, right, that your brand of Elliot is also the name of your company. So how do you, how do you balance just being day-to-day Elliot with being business person, head of the learning consortium, head of the Maisie Center Elliot? I think what you need to do is be an honest entrepreneur. You know, in other words, this is my brand. And a lot of what I do is just out there like a podcast or, or, or free empathy. And then if somebody would like me to fly and give a speech, it's a commercial transaction. And so at that moment, you need to make it commercial, not necessarily about your brand, but about what the commercial value of that is. I also think you need to um, evolve what you are. So I have, and it's all one entity, but I have Maisie Center where I do my learning stuff, Maisie Productions where I do my Broadway stuff, Maisie Stables where I own some racehorses. And I recently set up Maisie Innovations UG, which is a uh, an LLC in Germany for some things we might do in Europe. So the the structural element is going to evolve. And I'd rather evolve the structure than evolve my brand, which means they know me as Elliot or they know me as Maisie and they'll send a check to X or they'll register for, for Y. Now, that doesn't make it scalable. And that's another piece of it. So if I wanted to have 50 people who are all giving speeches on learning, that wouldn't work. But you want to know something? I'm not good at that. I mean, I got fired from my first job by a wonderful boss who said, you're really good at what you do if you work for yourself. Please don't run a big company because they will fire you too. And it was the best piece of advice <laughs> I ever got. So I think your brand changes when you want scalability. And but I actually believe in I'm the young score of 70, not the age. Our our friend George Takei from Star Trek said stop using your age after 50 because then they look for what's breaking <laughs> on you. But if you're a gamer, I'm leveling up each year with a better score. You know, so I'm I'm the score of of 70 and in that model, it's a enormous sense of I'm going to be organic. I'm going to evolve and it's going to change. And, and it's best for me to be a very small company doing very large things in some small but then viral ways. So I love that you talked about that first boss that gave you that advice. And it was really about cheating towards your strengths and really going with those tailwinds that can propel you. Tell me a little bit about some career breakthrough moments for you. When you look back over your your long and storied career, what are some moments that really stand out that were places where you really broke through and leveled up to use your gaming terminology? When I was very young, 
I was cutting class in high school and I went to Stuyvesant High School, then an all boys tech school in, in New York. And um, I got caught. And so I had to help load in some equipment that was being donated to the school. And it happened to be from a company called IBM. And we were the very first high school in America to get a mini computer. And they gave me the operating system to carry in. And I dropped it. I dropped on 15th Street and 1st Avenue. I dropped three decks of punch cards. And uh, my punishment was to go to Poughkeepsie with the guy delivering and pick up a new deck. So we had four hours of driving. And by the time I got back, I got drafted to be one of the programmers of the first computer in the high school. And that led me down the pathway of, of embracing technology. And along the way, I've, some of the other breakthrough moments have been to, um, to understand that teaching, which is this really interesting element, is this combination of an art and a skill. You know, you need to be you need to have the art of how do you tell a story? How do you read a reaction? And then you need the skill set of, of the structure that you're going to do that in. And so that was one of the other elements of it. And my final breakthrough was um, when I started to do conferences, I realized that a conference was a very different experience than a class, because in a conference, you were actually doing something that was pretty close to the Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey, Three Ring Circus. And so I built my conferences to be learning circuses. <laughs> and and I was one of the ringmasters, and there was structural chaos. And it was getting to a new metaphor, and that was my metaphor. It's like a circus that led to being a designer and a producer and an entrepreneur in which we very successfully over the years had hundreds of thousands of people come to our conferences, and it was a very impactful business. Absolutely. And I love the whole notion of being a ringmaster and being in, in the circus. And that's almost that great brand vision that you shared with your whole team that they could bring to life, even your extended team. Like when I would speak, um, at one of your, one of your conferences. In fact, you know, we'll tell the listeners that you texted me if you could wear your orange blazer to be on the podcast because you're known for wearing these loud, bright colors, which feel like being a ringmaster. Talk to us a little bit about how you show up on stage in terms of what you look like and how how you host and how that really reflects your brand. You know, I, I was the I was the smart kid in school, but I was never the good looking one, you know. And what was interesting was I early on realized that that was okay. So I'm gonna be smart and unusual. And <laughs> so I all along have worn just things that I'm I'm not good at ties. I feel a bit gaggy, you know. I've picked colors. Orange is is good. And it's interesting because you could go back and listen to we have clips from Michelle Obama, General Powell, uh, Hillary Clinton, all of which talked about either my sneakers or my, my orange shirts and, and the way. And it was an intentional part of my brand that I, I wanted to be who I was. And I, I also wanted to bring some, uh, some humor into that moment. 
And so I, I dress for my own enjoyment in that process. And then, of course, you've got to warn the, uh, the AV company has learned to uh, have <laughs> every background ready when they see what sport jacket I'm wearing up. And then they, they tilt the colors to my, my sports jacket. <laughs> I'm loving that, right? And I love that you say that it is an intentional choice, right? It's an intentional choice that helps drive engagement. And I've watched you on stage. I mean, you have interviewed, as you mentioned, Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, General Colin Powell, right? I mean, you interview some of the the big hitters from business and politics and entertainment. How do you get these? How do you get these folks? to to come on stage with you well first of all you write a check and that's part of it but it's really not enough you need to create an envelope for them and so i share with each of them or their people come and we'll you'll talk to people in business who are doing learning or you'll talk about skilling or you'll talk about history and then and this is an interesting thing it's critical that you not let it be a gig that they view it as, you know, and you and I have both done speaking gigs, Jason, you know, yeah. but it's, it, I don't want it to be this thing in the calendar that, oh yeah, I'm going to Orlando or New York to do that. And so it's extending yourself and it's sending them things. And I got, became pretty good at figuring out how do I talk to people who know them? So my name comes up and it's coming there and we build up a, a model and then it's greeting them. So I'll tell an off the record idea. So when Michelle Obama, I was her very first paid speech after she left the white house and she came and she was very excited. And I had met her a few times when she was first lady, but we met backstage and I said to her, we're going to have a good time. She goes, oh, oh this, yeah, yeah, we will. And I said, is it okay if you dance on stage coming up? And she said, do you dance, Elliot? And I go, well, better than Barack did on the Ellen show. And she, <laughs> she said, let's let it rip. And literally, and I put it online, there she was, and we danced to each other. Well, that whole one hour that went, on after that was seeded and uh, created by that interaction about that. And it's, it's once again, you are producing a moment and that's how do you reach out and create those moments? Absolutely. I love that it's all about that notion of you have to be intentional, right? It's really a consciously competent choice that you're making. So, Elliot, you talked a little bit about growing up. What are some things that that really influenced your brand growing up from your parents and and your life experience? What are what are some defining moments that really made you who you are today? Most people don't know it, but I was born with a massive speech defect. I have an elevated palate, which meant that if you heard me at age four, it was a little do that. I literally. So I went through three and a half years of intense and nicely provided by the public school system every afternoon speech therapy, sitting in front of a mirror, needing to learn how to say those things. 
Ironically, I never knew I had a speech defect. I just thought people had a little trouble listening to me, you know. So <laughs> it was it it actually made me more adaptive in that process. I will say that one of those wonderful things I've ever was able to then do was to work with the uh, United States Speech Therapist Association. And they didn't know my background, but when I shared it, boy, that, that went much better, that, that time with them. But that was one of the things. I think the other piece that was interesting, I was born in 1950. And when you look at baby boomers, it's a really interesting year because a lot of things happen to the world at key moments for us. You know, Korean War when I was four, a space race when I was 10, you know, Kennedy shot when I was 13, and civil rights and birth control when 18. You know, it's just different elements. So I actually think I was uh, lucky to be born in the right slot where history surrounded my development. And I'm, I'm a product of my parents and great teachers and history. And you talked a little bit about your dad fleeing Nazi Germany. And I know you also mentioned that you're looking to do some business in Germany. So tell us a little bit about that and how that has shaped your your viewpoint growing up. My father was a uh, young engineer in Germany. And in 1933, Hitler came to power. And my father is Jewish German and was forced to then work for the German government as a contractor. And it was really tough times. And he was able to, with raising some dollars, eventually buy his relatives out of Germany. And sadly, in 1938, his secretary told him that she was informed that they might be arresting him that night and taking him to the camps. And so with some good help, he fled and he got to the United States and he went and and he never hated germany and in fact i went and went back to germany and i was there when the uh when the berlin wall came down i became a german citizen because he lost his citizenship and as part of the settlement at the end of world war ii the people who lost and their children were able to be german citizens so i didn't have to give up my u.s citizenship but we live in strange political times, and who knows what right. might happen. And please, everybody, vote. Go out and vote. And if if the next four years are really tough, I will be doing a lot of what I do perhaps from Germany or from some other parts of the world. I hope not. I hope we have a, some good years ahead. But I wanted to keep my options open. And so that's why we formed Maisie Innovations, UGI, as a German company to um, – carry on more globally. Absolutely. So you've spoken all over the world. You've interviewed amazing people. Who has been the most wow person that you've interviewed in terms of what you learned from them? Michelle Obama. Yeah, why? Michelle is the most present speaker I have ever interviewed. Authentic, intentional, Every element of, of how she was, held the mic, was there. And enormously emotionally connective. And it was, it was wow, not only by what she said, Jason, but it was a, an experience of feeling as though she wove me into her speech. 
and not by saying my name a few times, which he did, and that's great to have that, you know, in history, but rather she was a connective person. And I think ultimately she will be one of the the truly heroic people, leaders in our in our lifetime. And talking about what she did with her kids, how she became a storyteller, how she she deals with adversity. And I think uh, keep your eye on her. I don't think she wants to run for president someday, but I think she will be a part of this nation's future as much as a part of, of the history. Absolutely. So as we start to wrap up, just a couple of final questions. What three words would you use to describe your brand? Funky, interactive, organic. Funky, interactive, and organic. And if you were a type of car or a brand of car, what car would you be? Would I have a Tesla? It updates automatically every few days. It's totally connected along the way. And it has lots of warning signals for when you're going to go off the road so you don't. (laughs) And finally, Elliot, what's the best career advice that you'd pass on to our listeners today? Don't worry about your career. Worry about what your life experience is going to be. If you find the right life experience, the career can be shaped around it. But realize you've got to live your life. You've got to put your career on your resume. Love that. Elliot Maisie, thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Welcome back, and I hope you enjoyed listening to Elliot Maisie. Weren't those Michelle Obama stories spectacular? Now, here's my big takeaway from listening to Elliot. You know, at the end of the day, you've got to lead with your tailwinds. Now, I think about your brand as a big airplane. Think of it as a huge Boeing 787. There are tailwinds that blow behind your plane that help you go faster, get there quicker, use less fuel, and ultimately get to your destination early. You also have those headwinds that are creating brand drag on your career. But ultimately, you've got to lead with your tailwinds and those strengths that propel you forward. So think for yourself, what are your tailwinds? What are your superpowers and what are your strengths? And how can you focus on those as opposed to simply being focused on those development needs? Now, if you've enjoyed the show, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss anything. And of course, I'd love for you to take a quick moment, leave a comment, and even rate the show. You can find me at Jason Patria on all platforms, and be sure to reach out on LinkedIn, where I share the latest on how to lead with your brand. And remember, in your career, don't be a commodity like coffee. Be a super premium brand that you are, just like Starbucks. Starbucks. 
You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.